I don't think any of these actors signed up for this show expecting to do musicals. <laughs> and they're all doing a great job given yes. Yes. this. Like, the dancing, the singing, I mean, they're all extremely talented people. I could not do a, a tenth of, of what they're capable of doing. Yeah, like, they bring it. And, like, I appreciate everything that they do to put these together. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another DMV Comic Book Nerds podcast. Today, we are reviewing Riverdale Season 7, Episode 14. I'm Freddie. And I'm Kennedy. And we're just two Riverdale fans, one comic book nerd and one regular book nerd who are here to uh, discuss this final season of Riverdale with all of you. So how are you doing today, Kennedy? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? I'm good, thanks. I'm, uh, you know, taking it easy as much as I can. Um, it's summertime, so my work isn't as busy. That's great. Is it pretty hot down there? Uh, it Well, I mean, I did see in the news that July 3rd and 4th were the hottest days in human history, in, in like recorded history in the globe. Oh, but, my gosh. Um, but over here, we got, we've been getting some rain on and off lately, so that helps cool it off a bit. What about you? Yeah, it's crazy humid over here. Um, and because we're a little bit further north, None of the buildings have air conditioning, so that makes it a little bit worse. But oh, no. I mean, honestly, as soon as you step outside, it feels so much better. It's really just that the houses all, all trap heat inside, but it's not mm-hmm. that bad. I have nothing to complain about. My work has air conditioning, so more incentive to, to go to work, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, how's your fourth? Mm. Pretty good. Pretty uh, uneventful. Honestly, the highlight of my week was remembering that this uh, episode was going to be the musical episode. I don't, I don't know about you. I figured you were pretty excited about it. Oh yeah, I was so hyped. Like Wednesday was like nerd Christmas because um, <laughs> not only did we get this musical episode, but um, I was going to shout this out at the end of the episode. But also, we are currently uh, I've started reviewing Secret Invasion, also on our podcast here. So uh, if any one's interested in that show on disney plus um you can check out our secret invasion podcast so that comes out on wednesdays as well so it's like you know very nice but it's like very stressful because now i'm trying to podcast about two shows that come out on the same day (laughs) yeah (laughs) we're getting closer to the end of riverdale which is Mm -hmm. bittersweet yeah and secret invasion is only like a six episode um season Okay, okay. So actually, you'll probably end them around the same time, I guess? Mm, well, we're already two in. Uh, okay. Well, well, this would, well, this week was the third one. So we're halfway through Secret Invasion. And then uh, Riverdale will be going until August. So I'm going to hold on to it for as long as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. But speaking of Riverdale, let's get into the news. All right, so I have a little bit of leftover news from last week. Because um, I was just so... Uh, I was so intrigued by that Crucible episode and um, I was doing some research, like reading up on the play and uh, I was trying to think, where have I heard the story before? And I, and then I remembered the old Sabrina, the teenage witch show that used to come on um, TGIF. Uh, they did a whole episode called the Crucible. Did that you ever watch sense. that show? I, I did not, but that tracks for a, for a show about a witch. Yeah, it was perfect because, like, she, like she was, um, 
she, like the show was based in Salem, Massachusetts. She was a witch. So like her school, they visited the uh, site where the old witch trial happened. And then they all did like some role play and everyone had a card that said townsperson. And one of them said witch on it, but then they had to figure out who ha- had the witch card. And then um, Sabrina was upset because her, um, like, cause she actually is a witch. Right. So it's like, She's calling yeah. her aunties like, like, this is not cool. I don't like this. But they're like, just deal with it. You'll be fine. <laughs> and then, then of course, at the end, it's revealed that no one had a witch card. Naturally. They all said townsperson and the witches were all in their heads. <laughs> but then because it's actually a magical show, Sabrina's card actually did say witch because she is a witch. I don't know. It's silly. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, there was a little bit of uh, finger pointing and... and stuff with her and her bully but it was it was it was uh, from what i remember because i did not re- re-watch this episode um but it was cute though so i just wanted to mention that for any fans of uh the archieverse <laughs> the extended archieverse um also there was a interview last week that machin amick did with um alex albin of uh decider and also another reveal podcast um and guess what she said what did she say she said unfortunately riverdale is never leaving the 50s oh okay interesting interesting information yeah so i don't know how much to how much stock to put in that because like i mean at this point in the season we've discussed this already like we're this far in it's not like we're much further, we're much deeper into this than anyone kind of thought on the audience side of things, you know? So, yeah. Um, at this point, I'm not really surprised. Like, I still think that they might throw in some uh, twists with like maybe their whole multiversal situation. Um, but I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if this season kind of leaves us hanging or whatever in the 50s. Yeah, I was kind of, this was a, a possibility I was thinking about, too, um, even before you told me about that quote. Um, I can't say I'm, like, I don't know, super pleased about it, but I was like, maybe they just don't resolve that stuff. Maybe they just say, okay, yeah, they're in the 50s, and that's it. Like, they've been sent back to the 50s. There's nothing that they can do about it. Like, Tabitha decides that it's just best to, to leave them there so they can live, like, long, happy lives. And I do know that Tabitha will return at some point okay so I, don't think that's a spoiler. <laughs> I also this may be a bit of a spoiler but i think we've mentioned it before i've seen a behind the scenes pick where they're at least talking about um hg wells and time travel so okay. so this plot line will get followed up on at some point i can't tell you how much but uh you know that's something i'm definitely expecting um yeah, I mean, I don't want to speculate on it too much, but I think, like we said before, you just kind of have to roll with with Riverdale at this point. We're seven seasons in. Either you're here or you're not. Like, we just got to enjoy the journey and try not to worry about the destination because, uh, honestly, I don't have high expectations. Like, I kind of expect to be disappointed. <laughs> I, <hate to> <laughs> uh, I mean, I I don't know. I don't I don't know if there's any ending of Riverdale that could either disappoint or meet my expectations if that makes any sense i just feel like one of the fascinating things about riverdale 
uh, and this is true of this season too, is it's always doing stuff that I don't expect it to do. Mm-hmm. That's definitely true. Um, but but I would say that most seasons, uh, I thought, didn't have the strongest endings. I mean, there were a couple that had some strong endings. Like season one had a strong ending, of course. Um, not season two. Season three was eh. Season four was cut off by COVID. So I count the real ending of season four as the beginning of season five, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then season five was decent. <laughs> uh, it was fine. Um, season six. How did season six? And that was uh, with Percival and time travel. So I guess that was good depending on your perspective (laughs) (laughs) yeah although i mean uh yeah i feel like endings kind of demand of riverdale something that it's not that great at which is tying up the loose ends it's good at starting stuff it's not Mm -hmm. necessarily good at ending stuff so that might be why i think i I think my biggest things that burned me was like sabrina chilling adventures of sabrina's ending was terrible for me and Katie Keene was canceled, so I don't. I don't think they have a good track record so far. But hopefully no. they can. But they knew that this is the last season. I hope that they can make it satisfying. Uh, regardless. Yeah, that's the hope, right? They had yeah. some foresight, so they're able to do something good with it. But but then again, this whole season has been about um, kind of shaking things up and and not doing what makes people happy. Like I mean, you've had elements of stuff that people want but then i i look at the comments online like people are so thrown off by the constant changes in the ships and it's like that's another thing i want to mention that uh lily reinhardt had an interview at some point where she was talking about how you can't go into this season focused on a particular end game ship because it's probably not gonna happen (laughs) okay i mean i'm i'm personally down for that i know like I feel like there is an like an article out there somewhere maybe that says something along the lines of like something that Riverdale does that's pretty unique for a teen TV show is the relationships are a lot more consistent. Um, and obviously there's a lot of movement of relationships, especially like in the first and second season. But once they get settled, they're more or less settled, even if there's like little breaks in between. Um, and I actually think that's a negative for me. I, I do get frustrated with like the gossip girl version of stuff where they're just breaking up all the time for no reason at all. But also like, I, I like there to be a little bit of exploration, I guess. Oh yeah. And I mean, I feel like this season in particular, like they said, let's try every single possible ship combination to see what happens. <laughs> yes. And not to spoil anything about the episode that we're about to talk about, but there was certainly one that I was happy about. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, I think I know what it is too. I was very happy too. So, <laughs> so let's return to the ship conversation later. But um, I have a few more things I want to mention before we dive into the episode. Um, so I was watching this. Um, I watched this now on my DVR, and there's this commercial that always pops up. It's an Olive Garden commercial, and they always say, "Our cheese will make you melt." And I like every time I hear it. My brain's like, Archie? Like, Archie? 
wait, wait, wait. Me too. Um, because I watch this on the CW app on my phone, and I also always get that Olive Garden commercial that's like about some cheese and whatever, and it's like you can get a bunch of cheese on your pasta, which like duh. But then it, it starts with our cheese will make you melt. But the yeah. way that they say it, it sounds so much like Archie. Yeah, like do you think they did that on purpose? Like I, I swear, like I don't know. I have been like. It has to be an accident, right? I just, I don't know. I can't I, fathom. I think, it's, I think it's some kind of synergy because, like, I totally try to tune out all the commercials and not pay attention. But then as soon as they say, our cheese, I'm like, wait a minute, is the show back on? Yeah, you know what? You might be right. Maybe they were like, oh, this will make their ears perk up. Yeah, like, they definitely did that, like, when they had the the uh, lactate commercial during the Milkman storyline. <laughs> I think the the advertisers on this show uh, are next level. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, actually, I did see an advertisement that was so. I guess I don't know if you've also been seeing these, but I've been getting like the for hers advertisements, which are like like women's healthcare, uh, like online or whatever. Like, I don't really know what it is, which probably means the advertisements aren't working that well. Is that but, the one where um, Jane Lynch is like narrating? I think I saw a different one. I saw well, I saw a couple different ones. I saw one where it was like Reese Witherspoon and then I saw one that was like actually like Riverdale themed. Like oh. they they showed like a bunch of clips of Riverdale and it was like don't miss the the uh last season of Riverdale sponsored by For Hers and like For Hers logo over like Riverdale scenery and I was like, "Huh? They're doing that now?" But, you know, good for them, you know, get the bag. So yeah, I don't think I saw that one, but uh yeah, I do think that they I mean, of course, we live in a time where they everyone tries to do targeted advertising, so yeah, yeah. I I wouldn't be surprised if there were certain modifications being made to the advertisements that they show based on the on the TV show, especially for like the more well-known ones like mm-hmm. Riverdale. Mm-hmm. So I have one more news item um, that's particularly relevant to this episode. Um, looks like Casey Cott has been cast in the Moulin Rouge Broadway musical. Oh, that's great. Yeah, good for him. Uh um, I'm probably not going to go see it. I mean, I saw the movie and it was nice. <laughs> I don't, do you, are you familiar with Moulin Rouge? The, the, the Yes, I am. But like you, I'm not going to Broadway anytime soon. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, speaking of musicals, let's get into the episode. Yes. All right. So this episode is titled Chapter 131, Archie, the Musical. It was written by Tessa Lee Williams, who has been a longtime Riverdale writer and producer who always writes the musicals. And then we have the director was Ronald Paul Richard, who was another longtime Riverdale director. So very uh, familiar team here. Um, and let's see. I'm going to skip the summary because we can probably just talk about it as we go. Um, I'd like to talk about this one in order because I feel like uh, you know, it, it kind of flows. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So it opens with the, right into a song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, it does. Like, if you didn't know this was a musical, you know as soon as you start watching because um, Archie starts singing about the first day of school. It's senior year. Uh, we see Betty also joining in. She's singing. Um, she has her ponytail. Uh, which we haven't seen in a, in a little while. Um, Veronica starts singing about being the new girl in school. Jughead starts singing um, about how it's been four years. Uh, he feels like he's done this before. 
And Hot Dog reappears. It's good to see Hot Dog back. Um, yeah, we love you, Hot Dog. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, then all of Jughead's comic book nerd friends show up and start singing with him. I thought that <laughs> was cute. Yeah. Um, and then Cheryl and Tony come in. They're co-captains of the River Vixens. Uh, they're singing. And then the Bulldog starts singing, uh, including Julian and Fangs and Reggie even. I feel like Reggie was dubbed. Like, I don't think that was his voice. <laughs> like, do you think it was him? Um, That's a good question. I was honestly more focused in that scene specifically. I didn't notice if he was dubbed or not because I like really liked the basketball choreography. I but, noticed that too because it's a very high school musical. Yeah, I liked, I liked it. I vibed with it. But I really, when it, when it comes to singing more, what I noticed was Jughead because I thought that Cole Sprouse had something in his contract. And I know that he sang, he sang before for musicals, but I know that like he, at least at one point, he tried to avoid it. And he didn't sing a ton in this episode, but he had some solos. Yeah, I mean, I think he has a, a solid voice and he's been singing since season three. Like they've, they've convinced him to do a little bit here and there. Although, they, <laughs> although they've kept a consistent character trait where he's actually not that into it. <laughs> Uh, it's pretty amusing. Like later on, he says, "I think musicals are the lowest art. Musical comedies are the lowest art form." I'm like rude. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I was like, I don't think Freddie's gonna like Jughead as much after hearing that opinion. I mean, I've heard it before. I mean, how? I think I feel like the majority of Riverdale fans hate the musical episodes. Like, no, they're like the one of the best parts of Riverdale, in my opinion. I, I agree. Love, love, love the musical episodes, yeah. and I'm not like a big musicals person. Yeah, like I am. So, but I'm just glad that we both are into it enough to enjoy talking about it. <laughs> yeah, I really think that's like where Riverdale's strengths shine, in my opinion. I agree. Although I have some mixed feelings about this episode. Um, I'll just ask you right off the bat. Uh, did, okay, was this musical so bad that it's good? Or was, <laughs> it, or was it just bad? Or was it good, actually? Okay, so. I I just said that I don't normally like musicals. I am not by any stretch of the imagination an expert on music theory or like lyricism. I do think and I'm not 100% sure who wrote the songs for this episode. Um I think they were weaker than they would have been if they had been songs taken from a pre-existing um storyline. Mm-hmm. Also the the songs often did not further the plot. Um, they kind of just reiterated stuff that we already knew, which like one of the fun things about Riverdale musical episodes is that you have to try to incorporate these pre-existing musical songs into the episode. And of course, a lot of the way that they do that is through like having the characters be putting on that musical, but also at the same time, like they do have to incorporate them into the storyline to a certain extent. And I think that's really fun. And because the lyrics don't necessarily completely match what is feasible for the Riverdale characters to be doing. I don't know. I feel like that in that instance, like in past Riverdale musical episodes, the songs have served to not only entertain, but to further the storyline and to tell us something interesting about the characters and have them sort of express conflicts in a way Mm -hmm. that Riverdale doesn't normally express them. But I was a little let down by the songs in this one. I feel like they didn't really do any of that stuff. So you just made a whole lot of great points there. Um, I will say that this episode had multiple um, writers of the songs. Um, I have the list here. But also, one thing that was particularly interesting to me um, 
RAS wrote on his Instagram that 21 years ago, he and his pal uh, Matthew Doers worked on getting an Archie musical off the ground. Um, they were in New York. They wrote a treatment and some songs. Um, they didn't have the rights. They didn't have a producer, but they shopped it around and uh, it didn't really go anywhere, but they stayed friends. And then now here we are 21 years later, four of Matthew Doers' original songs are the basis of this episode. And I think that's that's great. That's like an awesome circle back. Mm-hmm. So I can tell you which songs he wrote. Um, and we'll, okay. we'll discuss them all as we get through the plot. But um, so Matthew Dewars wrote the, the, this opening song, Monday Senior Year. He also wrote Kevin and Clay's song, This Is Love. Friday Valentine. Um, that's the one where all the girls are singing about the Valentine's date with Archie. Yes. And then also the song at the end, our song. Okay. Um, so I was kind of surprised. Like when I first heard that he wrote four songs, I thought I could tell right away which ones they were. But when I actually saw the credits, I was like, because I had to look on Spotify to find out exactly who the credits were because I couldn't find them in the episode. But um, yeah, it was it was an interesting mix of songs that I didn't quite all suspect were from the same person. But this, but they had several other writers. Um, Joe Iconis is an, um, another writer who did the Archie's All-American song mm-hmm. and then they had Tim Aceto who did the Do You Know um, the song with uh, Kevin Clay and Shoney um, and then the last we had a pair of writers Ben Lee and Michael Wells they did Archie's songs I Got Two the Betty Veronica song Universe Inside and the Prom Night song so there's lots of songs in this episode. There are a lot of songs in this episode. And, and lots of different credits. And then also I should mention um, Riverdale has um, a producing team. I think their name is Imperial Mammoth. Uh, so they produced most of these songs. And they've been on Riverdale for, I think, since season four, if not longer. Like just trying to keep a consistent vibe with uh, how the music is produced. So shout out to all of them. Um but I want to follow up on a couple things you said about Riverdale and musicals. Yeah, I'm super interested to hear your opinion since you're the the you're at least more of a musical expert than I am. Well, let me preface this by saying um, I am someone who has performed in musicals. Like I, I, I'm, I haven't made it to the professional level, but I did it. I did it through school. I've done it regionally, and I also am a music teacher in my career. So, you know, I this is the perspective I'm coming from. So let me say right here, I don't, you're not going to hear me criticizing people's singing too much because um, I've heard criticism of, you know, certain actors on the show. And like, I don't care because like, I kind of come from the perspective where like, I like older style like Sondheim style musicals where you know sometimes you have character voices sometimes you have people who's might not have the most refined or the most experienced voices but they're in a musical and they're giving it their best so so I'm not going to try and criticize anybody or if I do I'll try to keep it to myself (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah because because that's the first point I want to make like I don't think any of these actors signed up for this show 
expecting to do musicals. <laughs> and they're all doing a great job given yes. Yes. this. Like the dancing, the singing. I mean, they're all extremely talented people. I could not do a, a tenth of, of what they're capable of doing. Yeah, like they bring it. And like I appreciate everything that they do to put these together. Um, so second, I want to talk about the song. So like you said, um, usually... Riverdale is using these songs from other musicals to add uh, story and depth to the, what's going on in the show. And this time you have all original songs. So, um, you know, it's a different setup. Like um, some of my favorite Riverdale musicals are the ones like that enrich the show by how deep the musical is like next to normal. Like I was so moved by that one. I didn't even know the play, but I was like, wow, like this really, uh, amps up what the characters are going through for me. Um, whereas uh, here, I think it's definitely a lighter tone. Um, I was expecting more, more of a musical pastiche where there, I was hoping more of the music would reflect the times. And that's the first comment I want to make about this first song. It's called Monday Senior Year. I'm, my first thought was like, this is freaking anachronistic. Like, <laughs> like, this is not a song that would have happened in the 50s. Like, it's so Disney Channel. Like, um, you know, um, everyone is, their energy level is out of 10. Like, <laughs> um, yeah. style of music. It was, it was not screaming 50s to me. What about you? I would, I would agree with that. And, you know, again, like not, could, could never write a song to save my life. But I do think that like the, the melodic, like what was happening musically was pretty, I hesitate to say like anything too harsh, but it was a little uninteresting. And I Mm -hmm. do think that the songs that come from other musicals, even though I, you know, in, in a musical, it's not necessarily like the, the harmonic complexity that you're watching it for but at the same time um you you do start to get these like fun little flares um that i didn't really necessarily see in this this first song that also disappointed me a little bit i mean i agree um and i do want to make a third point about riverdale and musicals where usually okay so um in musical theater we use these terms diegetic and non-diegetic. Are you familiar with those terms? I am not. All right. So I want to also share for the audience as well that um, diegetic means that the songs are part of the story and what's going on. Like the characters can hear the music. If they're singing, they're actually singing in the scene, like as you would in real life. Now, non-diegetic means that there's stuff happening outside of the story. Like, Maybe you have music playing that's not physically there or that the characters can't hear. Or maybe it's more of a fantastical like or a fantasy scene, you know? So I feel like Riverdale usually draws this weird line somewhere in between where like the musical is part of what's going on in the story. So it's diegetic, but it's also non-diegetic because you still have fantasy scenes. You still have these heightened reality moments. Yeah. And Which I'm is like, interesting. It's very interesting. It's a very curious choice because, like, usually it's one or the other, right? <laughs> yeah. But um, but they always they always consistently try to do a bit of both. So this first scene, I would say, was kind of uh, non-diegetic because you have all these, like, everything they're singing about, everything we're seeing. We find out really quickly that it's. Um, 
like okay so it, it starts non-diegetic but then it turns diegetic when you find out that this is a song that kevin has written kevin and clay have written this song they're very excited about it and then the rest of the people that they have cast to be in this musical are not as excited but and then they're questioning it they're like why is this about senior year like we're juniors like what's going on <laughs> yeah which is a good point like i have to ask were you surprised like did you think they did a time jump or or, or did you just or not notice Cause i didn't really notice until like they said it i was not sure what had happened i remember thinking when archie started singing about like this being the end of summer i was like it is weren't you guys just in school <laughs> but uh yeah i i was like okay maybe they're jumping us ahead a little bit i was willing to accept that but then mm-hmm. yeah no they said that thing and i was like oh it's just you know it's 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 in the song for some reason kevin's and i did like i found that line like it's better for the storyline or whatever like funny mm-hmm. um but it did like throw me off a little bit that it was like so much of it was relevant to their characters in a really on the nose way but then other parts of it weren't not in a way that added complexity but in a way that also like i was like oh they're seniors huh so so yeah a lot happened in this first song like and there were a lot of clues like the fact that like you said archie says it's the um, the beginning of a new school year and then betty has her ponytail and veronica's a new girl again like um there are all these clues that something is different and then like and then cheryl and tony being um co-captains of the cheer Mm -hmm. squad and like um yeah it was like so that was all the non-diegetic stuff. It was, it was kind of like, um, I guess you could say, a fancy version of what they were singing about. And and the diegetic part is like, is the actual song that they're rehearsing for this show that Kevin and Clay wrote. So this is where, in the context of the show, these are Kevin and Clay's songs. They're teenagers in the 1950s. We can't expect them to have like the, the most uh, amazing caliber of musical songs yeah but at the same time these songs aren't actually written by them they're written by professionals so it's like you do expect you know some quality (laughs) (laughs) so you know like um i think that again i think they're doing their best um i i feel like i feel like with this musical having roots like origins of over 21 years ago and pl- taking place in the, in this mishmash of a seventh season, it's like I definitely feel like there's a lot going on here, and I don't know if everybody was on the same page. That's a good point as well. Um, and you know, when I was watching this episode, I was wondering, like, oh, are these like because I knew that um, that the showrunner had been involved with like an Archie play or an Archie musical or something along those lines, and I was like, I wonder if this is like if he's drawing inspiration from that. So I'm not super surprised to hear that he recruited his friend who worked with him um, to write some of these songs. Uh, but I also kind of wondered, like, is this a licensing issue? Is it a thing of like, it was actually cheaper for them to write these songs than to license songs? I don't know how that works. So, yeah, I assume it's probably cheaper for them to, you know, make their own songs uh, than to license other songs. Uh, yeah, well, probably even more rewarding. Like they might they might end up making more money on the back end. I don't know. But um, I assume that, you know, who knows? They might even make a real Archie Broadway musical one day. We'll have to go see that one. <laughs> but, I would uh, love it. I would love it, especially if it drew a lot of inspiration from Riverdale. Yeah, I think that would be interesting. But um, not to get ahead of ourselves, um, I just think 
I had a lot of uh, I had high expectations for this episode. So if I am critical, just know that's why. <laughs> but I, I'll try not to be too critical. Um, so next, um, Kevin says that he has a song for Archie, Archie's I Want song, because every musical has to have a song where you get to see what the characters want in their lives. And, you know, I was very amused by this scene, actually, because, uh, so you've got Julian here, who's Archie's understudy. (laughs) (laughs) And he is, he obviously wants to be the star. So he's like, doing the most. (laughs) What'd you think of this song? I actually really liked this song. I really liked, especially the, um, I I just really liked the the way that they they shot the song. I thought that like the little rivalry, or not even rival. I mean, there was kind of a rivalry being set up, but also maybe it's just me projecting what I know about the show onto it. But it's just like Archie kind of just being himself and Julian trying to, you know, <laughs> outpace yeah. him. Yeah, I thought I, that the way that they did this was super fun and cute. I I agree. I loved it. Like uh, seeing them running along each other and uh, in the shower. I, and like oh, first first they both ripped off their shirts, which Archie is known for. <laughs> And then they were in the shower. I was like, what is going on here? And like, they're singing. And <laughs> Yeah, I think there's always a dash of like competitive, like toxic masculinity that turns into homoeroticism in Riverdale that I find <laughs> really fun. Yeah, it was so like unexpected for me. I was like, what's going on? And of course, at that moment, then they do like a record scratch moment. They're like, and Archie's like, no, like, stop. Like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's really distracting to sing with my understudy, which to be fair. <laughs> yeah, like that's definitely not uh, standard. Uh, uh, Practice, especially for your understudy, you'd be singing harmonies with you, right? Like, uh, like Julian is definitely uh, overstepping here, but I loved his harmonies though. I thought he sounded really good. Um, <laughs> yeah, Julian is the actor. Actually, has like a great voice, and it was so fun seeing him be a wannabe Archie because we've kind of commented before how like uh, Julian is an actual redhead, and Julian is. Um, He's, I think he's actually American as well. Like Archie, like KJ Apa is New Zealand and he's got dark fake, hair. fake, fake, fake. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, KJ. It's so funny because even later in the show, like Kevin says, and we've got Julian playing the new Archie and he's even better than the real Archie. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I was dying at how like enthusiastic he was about that, how they both were, him and Julian. But. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I thought this is a fun wrinkle to Julian's character as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was just a fun song. So that was a good one. And then next, um, we see Kevin and Clay. And then they start singing and dancing about their love for one another. And then they kiss. And the title of this song was This Is Love. So what did you think of this song? Um, I really like seeing Clay and Kevin get more screen time. It did not, the song itself did not leave a huge impression on me. Yeah. Um, I, I, to be honest, I don't really remember much about it. So I gotta say, uh, I have two thoughts about this scene and song. My first thought is that I do want to give the show credit because I really struggle to think of any other musicals I've seen where you do have a queer interracial gay couple singing anything like i'm trying to think like can you think of one because i can't really think of any i I mean there was definitely not like there was prom the musical which is a recent one but that was about a lesbian couple Mm -hmm. i really can cannot think of 
any i know a lot of musicals i can't think of any that had a, a queer gay interracial couple so props to them for that i mean it's it's kind of revolutionary in that regard yeah but my, but my other thought is like this was so boring like why are they so boring <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, like, you know, some interesting things about both Kevin and Clay that could be like sprinkled into the song, like just stuff about their characters. Yeah. So it was kind of bland from like a lyrics perspective or like uh, even a musical perspective. Like it was a basic love song. Like it wasn't necessary. Like there was nothing in it about them specifically as characters. And yeah. um, and their song and dance was fine. Like it was good, but it wasn't great. Unfortunately, I hate to say it. <laughs> no, I I totally agree because like I don't know I feel like at this point in the story we are I'm I'm so like eager to learn more things about both Ke- Clay and Kevin Kevin having been on the show since season one I feel like there's still more dimensions to his personality that we don't know or that haven't been necessarily like built up by the screenwriters and then Clay like I loved finding out that he was like bossy and he's kind of like he's an artistic type and he's a little bit overbearing but he means really well I love all of that and I want to like see that in the songs as well like I loved watching him at his piano like telling like like monitoring um the rehearsals of the musical and him and like Kevin's shared enthusiasm for the musical I love Mm -hmm, that stuff mm -hmm. yeah I mean I did like that I mean I I think they're cute I appreciate that they're getting some screen time and a plot focus like this is arguably they're they're the a plot of the show so um of this episode so I mean that's great I don't know what it is I think I think part of my frustration is that this is honestly, a, it feels like they're recycling a Kevin plot from previous seasons. Like every time a musical comes up, he's always like in some kind of struggle with the administration or the principal or whoever. And, and he's always disappointed <laughs> at the end. <laughs> and that's also a good point. I think that I've like made front fun with my friends before I've been like, Oh, of course, you know, like, the gay guy, Kevin, has to be in charge of the musical. But it, to be fair, like, the fact that he takes on the director role and he does get, like, a bit bossy with it and he's so excited. Like, I find that endearing and I think it's, like, actually a, a really, like, fun character trait. But yeah, also, at I the mean, same time, as you said, we've done this plot before. And this is where I fault uh, Tessa Lee Williams. I'm like, you have written all these musical episodes. Are you aware that you are recycling this plot? <laughs> <laughs> But Maybe that's... Kevin should get to fight some aliens for once. Maybe Kevin should get to find a murderer for once. Right? <laughs> anyway, let's go to the next scene. So um, this song is called Friday Valentine. And it features all the girls. Um, it's kind of a weird song because you get Betty singing about Archie. You get Veronica singing about Archie. And then you get Tony and Cheryl also singing about how they want to go to the Valentine's dance with Archie. But again, this is Kevin's play that he wants to present, you know, in the school to the principal. So it's like it has to be very uh, heteroconformative, you know. Uh, yeah. But it was it was also kind of funny too. Like, I, first of all, let me say I thought the girls' outfits were great. They looked amazing. <laughs> um, Betty's back in her ponytail. I have to say, Betty's hair—they've never gotten it right <laughs> this entire show. Like. Veronica this season has her trademark bangs with her dark raven hair. But they've never given Betty bangs. And like I always grew up with Betty having bangs and a ponytail. Like that's what I expected. 
from a maybe it's in Lily Reinhardt's contract that they don't give her bangs. <laughs> maybe I mean, I think it's a stylistic choice to just only have the ponytail, like the pulled back pony. Like, I'm surprised that she hasn't had it all season. Like, do you think? Do you think she doesn't like the ponytail? Like, can you? Do you know? Do girls not like ponytails? <laughs> Um, I like ponytails. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just like, as you say, when they were changing the outfits and obviously Veronica's hairstyle got a pretty big change. Maybe the idea was just like, we'll do some pretty major changes with how Betty wears her hair as well. I do think think that they tried to have her uh, have more of a Marilyn Monroe uh, short curly do Mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of episodes to make that comparison. But in this episode, she had a, a very kind of small pony or i guess like what what would you call that it was tied back but it was very short this episode i mean i would still call that a ponytail i'm also far from a hairstyle expert well i'm just saying like she had the short pony and then she had the the long classic betty pony you know what i'm saying oh yeah it's like like and it was it was all the imaginary scenes where she had the long ponytail that's interesting i don't know what to make of that to be honest i don't either i think i mean again i think it was just a clue that you know this is an imaginary scene it's not part of this season's continuity which gets confusing but but it's like a shorthand way to tell the audience okay this scene is not real so don't freak out once you see tony and archie getting cozy (laughs) (laughs) and it's great that they put that detail into it like um Or, or don't freak out when you see betty kick Veronica off of a booth (laughs) (laughs) like I thought that was hilarious Uh, um, and so like they're singing um, like I was dying laughing at at Archie holding on to Tony on the motorcycle or like uh, Archie snapping his fingers when he was when Cheryl was singing to him in in the uh, by the fireplace like Archie was doing a lot of great acting this scene even though he had no lines or no like he was not singing he was just there (laughs) yeah he was doing a a great job continuing to be his very like lovable goofball self even while we were listening to a song about how four different girls are in love with him Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i mean i I really liked the staging of the song as well i thought they they did some really fun stuff with the staging of it all right so this song ends with the girls singing about how they're best frenemies and it was that was hilarious because like i I love their expressions while they were singing like lily and cammy they kill it when they like you know, really act what they're singing. <laughs> and um, and then they're like, what does that word even mean? And Kevin's like, I invented it. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that. okay, I was like, I'll let them get away with that one. And um, so the girls are not impressed with the song. They want Kevin to write something more honest. And, and Veronica's so pissed. She's like, I'll just get Cole Porter to write a song for me because like, <laughs> this is not it. <laughs> Um, so next we return to Kevin and Clay. They're, they're bringing Archie a new song about his quest for love and choosing between two options. It's called, I got two. And Archie says, sure, jelly, let's roll. I thought that was a cute little uh, catchphrase for Archie. Very cute. Um, but then after hearing the song, he's like, uh, I actually, I need to step away from this musical for my mental health. Like you guys are really like pointing out my flaws and my indecisiveness like uh maybe i don't know what i want in life so let me not be in this musical where all that's on stage (laughs) (laughs) 
I know this was the point where I really started to seriously think about like, oh, Kevin's written this entire Kevin and Clay have written this entire musical about Archie. Uh, why are they like? I feel like if in real life someone wrote a musical about me, I would have more questions. You yeah. know, it is odd setup, but like it works for the show. It and they work. do kind of they do kind of explain it a little bit. I think we can talk about it more in a bit. But I just thought again, it was very anachronistic for. Archie to use his mental health as an excuse like I mean sure it, I, I get it but like I just feel like at that time men uh, or boys would not be it's not a thing I don't know yeah I don't I mean I don't honestly think anyone was using the phrase mental health at that time so it also threw me out of a out of it a little bit it yeah like in, considering there's like so many other excuses Archie could have come up with and maybe it would have even been good for Archie to to fib you know because it shows like the conflict that he's that he's going through and for Kevin to be resistant to it and then Clay to sort of like get it and be like it's okay um that would have worked as well so I was a little through I was not sure why they made that decision yeah like I I, I appreciate the the moment like I, I agree with Archie in this moment like sure go ahead like this is you can you can put a stop to this that's fine with me <laughs> but um yeah it just seemed a little anachronistic like this whole episode i felt was very anachronistic in a in a weird way like like the show has always been anachronistic but especially now that we're in the 50s it's like they're so choosy about when they want to be uh when they want to represent the 50s and when they don't so it's yes. like like it's giving me whiplash <laughs> So next we're at the Pembroke and Veronica says to Betty that Cole Porter is definitely writing their song. Um, And then Veronica wants to tell Betty that she kissed Archie last episode, but then she admits that she actually likes Betty more. And then Betty says she feels the same and they just want to focus on their friendship. What do you think? Hooray! (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So this leads up to more. So do you want to talk about it now or do you want to talk about it more later? Oh, we can talk about it more later. Okay. All right. So the next Kevin is eating some pops takeout with his dad at the sheriff's office. And Kevin tells Tom about the musical. And then he asks Tom why he won't come home to his mom. And Tom says, it's adult stuff and you wouldn't understand. Poor Kevin. I guess. Yeah. Like, uh, like uh, we start, to, this is where we start to see that there's trouble in the Keller household. Yes, and I will say, you know, we. Hmm, okay, I'm of two minds about this. I do think it's good that we're getting more Kevin screen time and more Kevin like plot lines. Um, we've done divorce plots in the Riverdale universe in the Riverdale TV show before. We just did um, one last episode with with uh, Veronica's parents. Yes. <laughs> Um, which the repetition is not in and of itself a problem, but they do tend to follow the same path, I mm-hmm. suppose. Um, and this especially frustrated me in the case of contemporary timeline Veronica being upset about her parents divorcing. Because in that timeline, it's very much like, okay, your father's a criminal. He's mm-hmm. a bad person. Mm-hmm. He and you were happier your... when he wasn't around. And he wasn't around. And he obviously makes your mother feel unsafe. In my opinion, she should have been happy they were getting divorced. Or, like, it also makes sense to me for her to be conflicted about it. But for her to have just been straight up, like, in the contemporary timeline, like, no, don't get a divorce. Family is the most important thing. Yeah, I think I distinctly remember her, like, ripping, like, they had Thanksgiving. She 
threw everything on the floor. She was just pissed. Like she was very petulant about it. Was that the same time? Because I feel like I, I remember it... that, and I was like, "Fuck, what are you doing?" <laughs> yeah, I think it was. Um, and it it frustrates me a little bit that every time someone's parents are like getting a divorce on this show, the child's reaction is the same. And and honestly, this reaction makes a little bit more sense for Kevin. But for Veronica to have had it initially within the contemporary storyline is it makes me think that maybe the writers just don't know what else a kid would say about their parents getting divorced, which is crazy. Well, how do you feel about it in contrast to uh, 50s Veronica last episode, not only being okay with the divorce, but like kind of instigating it by like forcing her dad to like admit his affair to Hermione, like, um, like she's certainly like, a turnaround, isn't it? Yeah, like I feel like uh, I actually really liked last episode. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Did I, I give the ten? I feel like I gave it a nine. Yeah, I'll stick with that. It was good. <laughs> I I did like that. Like I don't know. I just feel like for so much of the contemporary storyline, all we saw was Hiram and Veronica snapping at each other, but also for whatever reason, like even despite the really, really, really horrible things that they'd done to each other, being sort of weirdly attached to each other which again you could say family um you could say father and daughter that's obviously a complex relationship but i they, agree they did they, some pretty crazy stuff yeah, they to took it other. to an extreme where they had this really strange relationship they were doing like lots business of competition gang mm-hmm. wars i mean yeah but to bring it back to, around to this episode like i have to say like if we can just talk about kevin and his parents for a minute i'm gonna skip around i'm gonna skip ahead to what happens later because at the end of this episode there's this really sweet song where everybody in the, like all the Riverdale teens, they come and hug Kevin and console him about what's, what he's dealing with. And I was, I admit I did start to tear up a little bit, but then at the end I realized they did not do any of this when Ethel's parents got murdered. <laughs> I, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, what about Ethel? Like she's there. Like she's in the scene. She's Ethel's one of the ones hugging them. Smiling. Yes. She's over it, I guess. Like, like she's over she hated it, her parents period. anyway. Like, no biggie. Like, <laughs> I do think that Riverdale can sometimes—I mean, not just sometimes—but the characters' reactions to things can be very out of proportion, especially relative to what's happened to other characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm happy that Kevin got some support for this difficult time. Mm-hmm. I, mm. but it, just, it just seems like when you look at it, when you step back and you look at the whole season or even the whole show, I feel like the moments aren't as impactful because it doesn't make sense. But if you look at it in like just in the context of this episode, OK, fine. It's it's nice. But like but like like I said, where was all this compassion for Ethel? Where is all this compassion for Veronica or anyone else who's had or, or even Betty with her crazy parents? Like. <laughs> Yeah, Jughead, who it's like, he's yeah, no like parents. living alone. <laughs> like, we don't even know what's going on with Jughead. He's just like, he's homeless. He's homeless in style, to be sure, because yeah. that train car is, is dripped out. But mm-hmm. like... Thanks to Veronica. Thanks to Veronica, of course. But yeah, I would agree with you. I think that like, I I actually really appreciate Riverdale's lack of cohesiveness at times. But I also almost need it to be paired with like craziness or zaniness or really unexpected stuff and for the lack of cohesiveness to be paired with like pretty run-of-the-mill plot lines is a little bit 
disappointing to me, I guess I would say. And I've, I have appreciated that the season has done different stuff and that they have tried to be a lot more cohesive and a lot more like character oriented and taking things a lot more slowly. Um, I've appreciated that change in pace, but it definitely, yeah, this, this didn't really hit for me. All right, well, let's keep going. Um, let's talk about uh, the next scene where I'm going to call Kevin Clay, Cheryl and Tony, I'm just going to call them the queer tet. <laughs> so the queer tet sings a song about their true feelings. Um, and this song is called, Do You Know What It's Like? Do you know what it's like to be young and gay and interracial relationship in the 1950s? <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, like, um, okay, so I'm not trying to make fun of this song, but I do, I I did find the lyric composition to be kind of questionable. <laughs> like, it, it felt like a lot of run-on sentences, and I was, like, waiting for, like, a rhyme or something. <laughs> no. <laughs> but but uh, that said, um, you know, I think this scene and song was, uh, again, impactful for a lot of viewers. Like, I think for other viewers more than me, based off of some of the early feedback I've seen online, like, um, you know, I think, again, it's great to show, you know, queer romances um, on TV, you know, in, in musicals, like you don't see stuff like this a lot and they did it well. Um, but again, I, I don't know that I was, I don't know if it was my, my favorite song or scene in this episode. What about you? Yeah, I mean, it probably some of the same criticism that I had for like the Kevin and Clay stuff which was like I wasn't really getting any of the like exploration of character dynamics or exploration of like the individual character like traits that make these people really well, distinct from each other well we did see that uh Clay sneaks into Kevin's room that's cute I feel like okay so in this scene I thought it was more of a fantasy thing, but then they show it happen again later on. Yeah, it turns out not to be. Yeah, like this is so based off. Like they they said they wanted an honest song. Kevin and Clay gave him an honest song. This is what we do. <laughs> um, so that's great. Um, but then it was after they stopped singing. Okay, okay. So while they were singing, another thing that kind of threw me off was like I was instantly thinking like. Crystal Featherhead is not going to approve this a musical. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, if this is the songs they're writing. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Yes, we, and as it turns out, that instinct was right on yeah, end. We find out very quickly that Kevin doesn't intend to do this one as part of the show. It's just for them to sing in private, which Cheryl and Tony are not very pleased about. They're like, you know what? If that's the case, we don't even want to be in this musical because like, we're, we're, we're tired of play acting in our real lives. So, um, until the world is ready for us, you know, let's, we'll just keep being, uh, a queer tet, but we're not going to be in this musical. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was both kind of like, this totally makes sense for their, I loved it when Cheryl and Tony were both just like, when Kevin said that, like in agreement, they were like, in that case, we're just not doing it. That just made sense for both of those characters in such a fun way for me. But I was also like, I mean, that's a little... What did you guys expect, respectfully? I mean, but when they finish singing the song, Tony has this line where she completely destroys any subtext that this might have had. She says, Wowza, 
you completely captured the longing of being in a queer interracial relationship in the 1950s. <laughs> <laughs> that that made me cringe a little bit. I yeah, I'm like, like, can oh. you, like, do you all have to really be this, like, obvious about like we got everything. it we, <laughs> we we do have eyes with which we are watching the television show so right, like, we know we understand the problem mm-hmm. <laughs> and like like and you and i have discussed th- this season using those exact words uh, i think already in this episode but like you know it's just like it's one thing to talk about the show from a 2023 perspective it's another thing to have these characters be in the 50s defining it in such a specific way i'm like this is just hard to swallow <laughs> Yeah, a very, very 2023 way. And then also, like, again, like you say, it's it's pretty on the nose. Too um, on the nose for me. We know what the song is about. It's pretty obvious what the song is about. Mm-hmm. It's being shown through through the lyricism to an extent. It's being shown through the visuals. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, that's, yeah, that was a pretty, yeah, that was a funny line. Oh, yeah. one other thing that I wanted to say about the song, though, was the tune like you just sang a little bit of it, like the da 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 da. Does that have you watched Moana? I was just thinking the same thing. It does sound like Moana song. <laughs> I so that Moana song. I just visited my family in Tennessee, and I was hanging out with my little cousins, and they're obsessed, obsessed with Moana. So I had to listen to the song a lot while I was visiting them. And as soon as I heard the like this the chorus of the song, I was like, that sounds really familiar. And I realized it sounded like a little like lick in the Moana song. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, how far I'll go. Yeah. Yes. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, that's how hit songs are made by kind. Uh, copying what works <laughs> yeah i mean music music is it, it is kind of a copy game so there, I'm, not, I'm not faulting them for it at all yeah, I just, there's, there's only funny. there's only 12 notes in all of western music so it's got yeah, exactly <laughs> how creative can you be really um but let's continue on to the next scene this was a funny scene um so archie is at pops and this was a a strange moment because i noticed here they actually had some diegetic music playing in the background they had you know like they always have music at pops you know from the jukebox or whatever and this time they had a song called many things by a band called the innocents so this is one of the rare examples this episode of a diegetic song that the characters are not singing it's just background music um just wanted to point that out and then in the scene pops is asking archie do you want super salad Super salad, Archie. Which is it going to be? <laughs> and Archie, again, cannot make a choice. Um, and Jughead's like, just get both. <laughs> <laughs> but Jughead, what about the extra charge? Mm-hmm. Well, Jughead's a smart guy because he realizes that Archie will probably let him have both, which he does. He's like, I just really want the grilled cheese pop. <laughs> so, um, so it's weird because we have not really seen a lot of scenes with Archie and Jughead this season. So, That's a good point. So we see them talking, um, and Jughead gives him some advice. Yeah, Jughead is very well read, so he he mentions a um a, a philosopher. Oh, Albert Camus. He does mention Camus. Camus. Mm-hmm. Yes, That's he mentions it. Camus. He says that Archie's having an existential crisis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was a fun scene, and then of course Archie starts singing. <laughs> yes, as he must. For this episode, at least, like this, this was an example of non-diegetic uh, musical theater because, in any real life situation, no one's going to start singing at this moment. 
with music backing them up. Um, especially to sing a reprise of the song you sang earlier. <laughs> but uh, it was cute, though. I, um, KJ Apple sold it for me. Like He did it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, he sells everything. I feel like he has the right... He's just such a cheerful presence on mm-hmm. screen. Yeah. Um, that he, he so, can do this musical stuff extremely well. And so earnest, too. Exactly. All right. So, yeah, he... Uh, he sings about how he can't pick two and and then he uh, rejects the soup and salad and lets Jughead have it. And then he goes to tell Uncle Frank that he's quitting the basketball team and choosing poetry. And Uncle Frank is mad. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, where's Mary in this moment? Like, we need her here to balance his craziness. Yeah, she's like gone to bed. I do wonder how much Mary knows and approves of Uncle Frank uh, stepping in as like a parent figure because I feel like they've clashed a little bit over his like fake parenting of, of Archie or not fake parenting but like he's definitely kind of stepping into like a stricter like father figure role yeah it's a strange setup because um, not only is it the 1950s where you know men are going to be more domineering in the in in households but like again this is not archie's father this is his uncle and uh he was invited so it's like like so who really is the boss in this house like this they could have a whole spinoff who's the boss <laughs> that is actually i actually think that the frank mary archie family dynamic is super interesting and i do like it whenever they dedicate time to it because i like that they're kind of doing like frank is a complex character you know like he's sometimes he's a good guy sometimes he's a bad guy like, and in I- this He's trying to do the best for Archie, but also he doesn't really know the right way to go about it. Like, I liked when Mary told Frank off um, way back when, um, I think it was during the Cheryl situation. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, he kind of eased off since then a little bit, but now he's back on his BS. And I'm like, I think part <laughs> of it is because he's, you know, uh, in involved with uh, the evil white men of the town. <laughs> so, um but he seems to be on the fringe of that. Like he's, he's the basketball coach. He kind of minds his own business. I don't know if he's in deep with them, but um, yeah, I think it's, this does go to the central conflict in this season where um, the white male authority figures are, are just trying to repress every little thing that the teenagers are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so good for Archie for like, you know, standing up to him and uh, making his choice. Finally, like we've been, dealing with this in season one like what's he gonna choose music or football or basketball or poetry like (laughs) (laughs) it's all kind of variations on a theme a little bit yeah Yeah. so this show definitely um this episode really uh digs into that a lot and and i appreciate that like we kind of skipped over that the first part of this song i can't pick two or i got to like that was a great scene where archie was singing solo and he was at the movie theater he was at the babylonium watching a betty and veronica movie about his life and how it could play out and then he was like uh also okay then he had this quick moment where i was like wait a minute is he about to explore his bisexuality because he's like looking at reggie that's what i thought too <laughs> and, then, and then he's looking at jughead but really he's that's when he starts thinking about the career paths ahead of him like yeah, do i pick basketball do i pick basketball and, and jughead, jughead writes, writes. So, so that's what he was thinking. But um, I don't know. It was, it was good. It was cute. I like how they 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 really lampshade everything that 
goes on with Archie in the show. They, they kind of point out how he's kind of inconsistent as a character or, you know, like not very well defined in, in his wants. Like, <laughs> it, like the meta commentary here is very on point. Yeah, I thought it was also cute how they kind of pivoted that, like, I've got to, like, song, like, what could be applied to, like, the old, like, comic book Archie about yeah. him, like, having both Betty and Veronica wanting him to his, like, interests um, in his, like, future path in life. I think that's nice. Yeah, this was exactly what I expected from an Archie musical. Like, classic Archie being indecisive about Betty and Veronica, but also little more depth to it because it's not just about the girls it's also about who he is and what he wants in life so um i mean does he want to be a poet see <laughs> but um maybe he does yeah yeah his his uncle has that moment where he's like you're gonna be a beatnik poet and i was like well i don't know if archie's an Allen ginsburg type necessarily but is he more of like a james joyce or um i <laughs> or maybe I don't think so. Um, maybe not yet, but he could grow. Into maybe it. not yet. That's a good point. You know, it, I, I'm reading. I'm actually reading on the road right now. Um, and Jack Kerouac seems like a fairly normal guy mm-hmm. within his circle. Of course, that caveat needs to be added because he runs with some pretty crazy people. And that's the whole point of the book. But like, there there is a like scenario where Archie, with his kind of like go with the flow, like good natured self, could get into some fun scenarios write about it um i could see it working and you know what i would watch that tv show so cw if you're thinking about making a spinoff about uh, beat poet archie andrews i will watch it i think archie will be like a henry david thoreau like like uh he was a lifelong abolitionist and he also was like uh, he liked to simple living and and nature and, and like and you know stuff like that like i feel like he could go that direction <laughs> yeah maybe his writing will be a little less uh flowery i suppose i don't know i don't know he's <laughs> he's definitely not i <laughs> poor archie i can only think of writers that he's not like <laughs> <laughs> well he's just at the beginning of his journey he hasn't found his voice yet exactly he's a high schooler i mean yeah. really the demands on him should be far less than what we're putting on him so next let's talk about kevin again so so Clay is sleeping in his bed and then Kevin's mom knocks and Clay has to escape through the window and then Kevin's mom says that she'd like to have a meeting with Kevin and Tom at Pops after school. Um, so we'll return to that plot line. Um, and next, Betty and Veronica finally get to sing their song uh their cole porter song has arrived and i'm so mad because after hyping up cole porter this entire episode i'm like this sounds nothing like a cole porter song (laughs) yeah i kind of wondered why they threw out that name too because i was like are like okay they're they did not get cole porter to write this song obviously like it's fun from like a script writer's perspective because like this is what veronica always does name drops and calls and favors and stuff but but from a musical perspective, I'm like, if you're going to hype up a pastiche song, you need to deliver. Like, you need to make this sound like a Cole Porter song. Like, I feel like this is where there's miscommunication between the, the creative team because, like, uh, they could have brought in, they could have commissioned a Cole Porter style song, but they. Oh, yeah, didn't. definitely. 
like so they just put in what they had and it was great it, honestly it's one of my favorite songs of the show of this episode not the whole show but of, of this episode i also really liked this song mainly because i well i really liked the message i really liked the lyricism um and also the like the little like fantasy like sort of scenes that we were seeing as they sang the song were really fun mm-hmm let me let me just kind of summarize it real quick. So they're singing a song about their secret universes inside of each of them. And they're having fantasy campaigns for class president. Well, midway through the song, they decide to run as co-president. And then they see into each other's universe. And then they kiss. And then everyone feels a seismic primal energy exchange. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, it was it was wild. Like, I did not expect any of it. What do you think? Yes, I was so excited. I mean, well, earlier on in the in the show where Veronica's talking about, like, I kissed Archie. I like Archie, but I like you more, Betty. I was like, oh, yeah, they're about to finish what they started. And then they were like, we're going to work on our friendship. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with their friendship. I love it. It's great. Um, just could be the foundation for something more, which mm-hmm. in the song it was. So, yes, I was very excited. I also felt the seismic energy. Now, I got to say, so, again, we get a kiss, but it's like another fantasy kiss. Like it, they kind of show that in real life, Bay Veronica are singing and then they're standing face to face, but I don't think that they ki- actually kissed in front of Kevin and Clay. No, I don't think so either. So I'm hopeful that this means that they're like feeling the connection and that they're going to, I'm still holding out for a real life kiss. I mean, at this point though, this scene was so strong. It almost makes you think that Veronica is endgame for this season. I That's mean, what I was thinking too, because it's pretty explicit. Like they don't, yeah. they wouldn't have kissed unless they wanted to show us that they're romantically interested in each other for real. Yeah, like this episode is doubling down everything that happened uh, two episodes ago. Um, which episode was that? After the fall, like they, um, like like this is more than most of these characters get. <laughs> Like they were, yes. they were they're like kissing in the heavens and like and like it was it was very uh epic. Um so like it looks bad for Archie. Like they even talk about it. they're like, we need to talk about what just happened. And then they're like, uh maybe we should uh stop thinking about Archie and start exploring this more. And then at that exact moment, Archie runs in to tell them that he's not kissing anyone for a while. Later gators. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're like, okay, well. Like he said, I'm fond of both of you. And they're like, fond <laughs> at the same time. Like, I love when they speak in unison. <laughs> I know. That was so, that was so, so, so cute. And it was hilarious. I, I kind of hope it's end game. I mean, time's running out. So, like, I mean, again, I don't know if anyone's end game. Although I kind of feel like all the queer characters might be end game this season because. I'm sorry to all the hetero ships, but the queer ones, they, they're going strong. Yeah, they're kind of winning, right? And maybe this is Riverdale's last laugh, you know? It's mm-hmm. like, it starts out as this, as this like, very classic teen drama with the hitting the same sort of, like, heterosexual storyline beats that you would expect. And it's so rooted in, like, heterosexual comic stories about Archie and Betty and Veronica. Yes, and then Betty and Veronica end up with each other, and then there's a whole bunch of other gay ships that end up with each other. That's kind of cool. I think you have a point, because I think I did hear that um, the original play that Roberto Aguirre-Sacasa was trying to write made all of them gay. Like, even Archie was gay. 
<laughs> yes, I remember this. At least, at the very least, Archie was gay. And the, and that's why it was kind of like shut down at the time. But then it kind of his story kind of turned around where they in, ended up making him the chief creative officer of uh, Archie comic books. So, and then and gave him the show. So it's like, uh, what did you expect, guys? <laughs> yeah, this is this is at least his last laugh. Yeah. Now all we need is for Archie to be gay. Yeah, which... I mean, there's hints. <laughs> There's hints. Maybe it seems more likely to me that he's just going to end up spending some time to work on himself. I mean, according to Uncle Frank, poetry is gay. <laughs> so, so true. <laughs> like, uh, and there was that whole episode where, where, where Archie was into the same stuff as Kevin. <laughs> uh, I don't know what they're going to do this season. We only have a few episodes left. So I'm like, do something that makes sense, please. Um, but we'll see. Next, um, we're at Pops. Kevin's parents deliver the bad news. He's surprised. He's upset. He leaves. Uh, pretty uh, formulaic story beats here. Um, any thoughts about that? I feel like I already talked about a lot of my thoughts Yeah. earlier. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure I have anything else to to say i will say i wish we'd gotten to learn learn more about kevin's mom i agree i'm like we did not even get her name did you notice that yeah we really don't know anything about i'm her. like 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 am i supposed to be thankful that you bring her in as a hail mary at the last bit of the show like the, <laughs> like because we've, we've commented on like how are you going to mention her and not have her in the show but now you have in the show but like she's doesn't have a name she at least gets to deliver some impactful lines, but it's like, what's, what are you doing, show? <laughs> yeah, and to have more information about, like, or to see some kind of emotional response from her about the divorce, or, like, what is she planning on doing after the divorce? What's the, especially in the 50s, right. the, the logistics of that are quite complicated. Yeah, I so I guess we could go ahead and uh, just skip to the other scene with him and his mom. Like, uh, Later on, we see Kevin's mom try to console him, and he asks her if the divorce is his fault because he says, "I, I noticed all this tension between you guys happened when I started uh, when I started having issues with Betty." <laughs> yeah, hint, hint. Yeah, and so then um, his mom says, "No, it doesn't have anything to do with you," um, and I, and then she says that she loves him unconditionally. And like it's sweet, like it's 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 the reassurance that Kevin has needed all season. I mean, not, this whole series apparently, like he's not he's never had this a mother figure give him this kind of unconditional love. I mean, his dad used to be very supportive in the old timeline. Yes, but uh, what did you think of that scene? Because like, even though she denies it being Kevin's fault, I kind of feel like it was still about Kevin, though. <laughs> I. I kind of expected when we started with this scene, I expected us to find out more details about the divorce. Maybe mm -hmm. I'm just nosy, but mm -hmm. I wanted to know, like, okay, what are the adult problems? Yeah. Like, and if it does, like, it would be horror. And obviously, you would never want her. If they're trying to portray her as a good mother, you would never, ever, ever want her to say to Kevin, like, oh, it has something to do with you. Yes. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, if she even, like, expresses, like, some concern. But we could have overheard her fighting with Tom, that would have been great or and, like 
just something like that she's hinted like maybe even she says something about like i just want you to like have an easy life like maybe it's not kevin's fault per se but maybe her seeing tom's reaction caused a huge division between them because maybe she realizes tom is not the guy the hero of the family that, that you know he probably thinks he is but um and plus he's so deep into whatever you know the evil white guys are doing <laughs> like maybe this has something to do with that we don't know and uh it's kind of a disservice to this plot line because we we just don't know yeah it just feels very underdeveloped um and it feels like the writers maybe don't know as much as ideally one would like them to know either mm-hmm. because i feel like for writers whenever you know a bunch of backstory that you're not necessarily going to explicitly talk about, it can still come through in the details and just the very small characterizations. This is especially true in television because you're dressing the characters, you're creating their settings, you're, you're building up their homes, you're, you're choosing a lot of things about not only what they say and do, but also about how they look um, and where they are. And she just, she looked like extremely extremely normal and she talked extremely normal and she didn't really say anything that gave us any kind of insight into her character or her relationship with tom which seems complicated yeah but uh i guess at the end of the day this show is not about the parents it's about the kids that's true (laughs) and um you know i guess we should just be thankful that kevin got you know an a plot (laughs) yes we love kevin uh I, I don't know if I'll say all that. I, like <laughs> I, I love, I love, I love Kevin, even if uh, yeah. his main personality traits being gay and that's fine. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, I'm just, I'm annoyed by Kevin. Cause like last episode, he was the one saying, this is America. If you're innocent, you should have nothing to worry about. I'm like, he, Kevin, he's a little are, naive. Like, you are dating a black boy like and like you should know better by now you went to the you went to the black book club (laughs) you've read the book apparently apparently allegedly (laughs) are you accusing kevin of not having done his assigned reading he probably didn't because he's always just so like blindly just like goo-goo-eyed anything clay says or does he probably just doesn't have any opinions of his own um (laughs) and then on top of that it's like I was mad at Kevin last season for, uh, you know, hanging out with Percival and trying to steal that baby after after trying to leave the baby. Like, make up your mind. <laughs> Kevin has been a very influenceable character on this show. He was in a cult, stealing Yeah. Cookies. <laughs> <laughs> he so did like, an evil gay wedding with the cult. Yeah, so I'm like, so I don't particularly have a lot of love for Kevin. I'm sorry to say it, but like, um, you know, I do relate to him with his love of musicals. Is that, <laughs> and that's about it. <laughs> and being queer. Okay, so, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's just it's kind of unfortunate that, um, this show that is obviously so pro, so pro LGBTQ, um, has a queer showrunner. You know, lots of queer storylines. I don't think it has a lot of queer cast members, but that's a little bit of a separate point like do you know if any of these cast members are actually uh have have, uh have any of them confirmed a queer identity lily reinhardt is she bi yes okay 
I don't know about anyone else, but I'll be honest with you, I do not keep up with the actors like Instagrams or Twitters or anything. So I would be probably the last person to know. I mean, I I think I've heard about Lily, but other than that, like Casey Cott is apparently straight. You know, I feel like they're all straight. He's straight. Yeah. Huh. Unless he comes out down the line, I'm pretty sure he's straight, and so is everyone else. I'm not surprised to hear that, like, you know, for instance, KJ Abba is straight or Cole Sprouse is straight. But even the girls, like uh, uh, Madeline, Madeline Petch and, uh, and Vanessa yeah. Morgan. Vanessa Morgan is married with a, with a child. Like, yeah. <laughs> and that's fine. Like, I mean, you can be queer and still have, you know, uh, um, a, a spouse of the opposite sex or like, there's all different varieties of identities out there. I'm, all I'm saying is like, sometimes when you're watching media about queer representation sometimes it's meaningful to have people involved who are actually queer um <laughs> yeah no I, w- I would totally agree with that um they've yeah so that's another notch against casey cott and kevin for me <laughs> i'm sorry heterosexual no <laughs> we're just kidding straight. No. <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm honestly not that um mad about it i'm just bringing it up because I, I feel bad for being so surprised that he's straight he just he slips into the character, I guess. I mean, this this is the only way we know him as as Kevin. He's, That's also true. Um, but um, who knows? Maybe it's one of those situations like uh, uh, Sean Hayes, where during Will and Grace, he 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 claimed that he was straight, and then then later on, he came out as gay. I'm, I mean, I don't want to put that on anybody. I'm just saying it happens. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it totally happens. And also, you know what? he's straight and he's willing to to play this role i think that's awesome i think that's like a step that we should be moving in um maybe (laughs) i I, I welcome opposing opinions i'm as a queer person i have i have my opinions about this where like i've just seen so often how like hollywood in particular will give all the awards to straight actors who play queer and no awards to queer people who are actually in Hollywood or even that won't even give them roles half the time. Like, like there is a lot of discrimination that goes on in Hollywood in particular. And it's so weird because there are a lot of queer people involved, like in Hollywood, there's a lot of queer people, but they're just not um, given as many opportunities as straight people. In fact, lots of times they have to hide uh, their queerness. Um, so I don't know. I mean, th- things have definitely started to change in the past decade or so. Um, but for me, it's still not enough. Like, I'm, I'm kind of an activist when, when I really start to express what I think about this. But um, I'll just stop there and say, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I appreciate, like, I'm not trying to say only gay actors should play gay or, or only straight people should play straight. I mean, to your point, you know, um, straight people who are comfortable playing gay is uh, could be considered a sign of progress. But on the flip side, I think sometimes there's a lot of exploitation going on where it's like they're exploiting queer stories and profiting and finding success. But they don't. But that that success doesn't always benefit actual queer people. Um, Yeah, there's definitely that dialogue to be had. But I don't know. I don't want people to think I'm bashing Riverdale because, like, like I said, this is a very pro LGBTQ show. 
it's done a lot. Like a lot of these scenes in this episode, for example, might be considered revolutionary, depending on your perspective. So. <laughs> I mean, so, it's it's a pretty like LGBT focused episode. Yeah, like um, like I said, some of the stuff I really can't say I've seen elsewhere. So, uh, props to them, even if I have my uh, reservations. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do want to shout out the actress who played Kevin's mom because they like. I couldn't even find this listed on IMDb. Maybe people just haven't put it up there yet. Her name is Kate Zena. So props to you for coming on the show and making Kevin's mom a real character, even if we don't know her name. Like uh, giving her some emotion, like you did that. Good job. <laughs> yeah, no, she was she was a very competent actor. Yeah, we like a supportive mom. Like I do have to say, while we're on the topic of this, I do relate a lot to this episode. Like. Like, uh, it was easier for me to talk to my mom about being queer than it was to talk to my dad. Um, Again, I do love musicals. Like, um, you know, I I do know what it's like to to be in relationships, um, both interracial, monoracial, queer, straight. Like, you know, I've I've experienced a lot in my life. So, you know, I think... um, I, I do relate to a lot of what this episode showed, and um, I guess that's why I'm so opinionated about it. <laughs> no, yeah, I think it's totally like reasonable to see something that you have that close of a connection to, and because of that, have a very strong like many different levels of response to it. Both like the level of like I'm glad that I'm getting to see a fictional version of this because it can be extremely therapeutic and and also even more entertaining honestly when you just like relate to the stuff more like I was watching um the ultimatum the queer edition (laughs) with my friends which is this reality tv show on Netflix about lesbian couples I mean like sometimes it's about straight couples but they had one like season of it where it was was lesbian couples and I was like I didn't realize it but I always really really wanted to see like a reality tv show about gay people and because it's just so different because you really see like this weird it's like this weird crazy mixture of reality tv and then also just like stuff that you're a little more used to in your day-to-day you're like oh i know like people who have that character trait i know couples who have that problem there's a lot of stuff that is specific to the experience that you wouldn't even necessarily expect to be specific to it but it was it was really refreshing Mm-hmm. Um, but all that to say, I think it also makes sense to have a stronger aesthetic reaction to it one way or the other and say, like, you know, this is what I would have changed. This is what I would have kept the same. This is how it affected me or didn't affect me. Um, and, oh, it, you know, don't even ask me what I would change all this episode, because I will go on and on about like <laughs> what my Archie musical would have been like. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, no one's stopping you from writing Archie, too. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you're right. Um, but. I do, that said, I do think we should probably wrap up this episode. There's yes, yes. More we got to get off our soapboxes, okay. I suppose. All right. So next, um, we're back at school. Everyone is singing about how close prom night is. Uh, and it's so funny because you've got Julian playing Archie, Clay playing Jughead, and Fangs playing Reggie. <laughs> I thought that was really cute. I loved Very Clay cute. with his little Jughead hat. I loved all of it. I was like, I was just so amused with it. Like, um. Julian's Archie. Like I like him more as Archie than as Julian. 
he did a good job. He did a really excellent job getting into the characters. Sometimes I had to like squint a little bit at my phone screen and be like, which one's that? I mean, I do think that's something about acting where sometimes it's easier to portray a character who is not yourself. <laughs> like, um, I think as Julian, he was definitely enjoying being the center of attention, like being a likable person. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, although it's kind of weird how this episode they kind of have Archie playing the guitar and talk about how like I've been writing an awesome song like um, have you <laughs> <laughs> like this Archie doesn't write songs like have you all been paying attention like <laughs> keep up with us here like <laughs> well poem song basically the same thing I guess but no but Archie <laughs> is literally playing the guitar like 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 Julian Mimes playing the guitar Archie picks up guitar several times this episode. Cheryl picked up a guitar in one of the fantasy scenes, which I thought was hilarious because she clearly doesn't know how to play guitar. <laughs> but she looked hot doing it. So, you know, I'm not mad at it. So true. Um, but I also want to mention in this scene, we see one teacher in the background, like awkwardly standing in the corner, trying not to like get a lot of attention. And I'm like, is this the real Mrs. Grundy? Because I'm like, I- I'm so stuck on this point. I'm like, last episode, why did you bring back Mrs. Grundy? And it didn't include her in this episode. And you don't, and they never explain anything. Like, are so we have Miss Grundy and Evelyn Ever Never. But as far as I was aware, last time around they were not who they said that they were. Like I remember, there was that Mrs. Grundy was not. That was not her real name. I don't think it was. No, you're right. You're she right. She was impersonating an actual old woman named Geraldine Grundy. So I'm just confused. <laughs> but in my I'm... mind, I'm going to pretend that this background character was the real Mrs. Grundy. <laughs> Like she had the gray hair. She was old. She was, she was, she was cute. I like. I think it's a fun headcanon. Yeah. All right. So then, um, Principal Featherhead gives everybody a standing ovation, but and invites Kevin to his office only to tell him that they're not going to do his musical. Um, Principal Featherhead thinks that's a safer choice to do Oklahoma, and that's something that people will actually t- turn up and watch. And then Kevin dies inside. <laughs> Which, to be fair, I don't think people are going to high school musicals because they love the show that's being put on. I think they're going because they know people in it. Yeah. So they would go to see the show, whether it was Oklahoma or Archie's show, by that logic. Exactly. Actually, they might draw a bigger crowd by being like, oh, it's a show about, like, us. Yeah, like, everybody in this town. Yeah, everyone in this town knows Archie. Like, I think they would be they would show up but 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 we know principal featherhead is against everything that's great so yeah he has to no be surprise it, naturally yeah uh but kevin is surprised and then he breaks the bad news to the rest of the teens and uh then midge tries to offer some consolation but kevin snaps at them and then he leaves um and then clay tells everyone what kevin is dealing with so um i do want to shout out Thangs and midge like they they were solid this episode uh I loved Midge's line. Uh, like way back when they were first singing, Julian was like, why don't I have a bigger role? I'm the best singer in the school. And then Fangs is about to say, I'm the best singer. But then Midge steps in real loud. She's like, actually, Fangs is the best singer in this school. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was cute. That was cute. Like she, she sells every small line that she gets. Yes. And, I, love, I love seeing both her and Fangs. Yeah. I am wondering when she's going to start looking pregnant. Right. Yeah. She's, to this day, she does not, she's not showing. So they need to hurry up and resolve that plot, I think. Unless they leave us hanging on everything. I think, I don't know what to expect. 
they they need to stop writing plot lines they cannot like finish yeah actually maybe don't i mean i guess it's too late now for me to tell what the riverdale writers to do but (laughs) (laughs) all right so after that um archie finds kevin alone in the music room and archie thanks him because uh he's he he says that this musical actually helped him make some important decisions in his life and they shared disappointment over the musical being canceled i thought this was a sweet scene like like it is refreshing to see archie actually be friends with kevin this season like like this is something that's been consistent (laughs) um and then archie wants to hear kevin's new song so Kevin starts singing and Archie joins him and then Betty joins them and then Veronica and here's where Archie starts playing the guitar and then Shoni enters and then Clay and then Kevin and Clay kiss and then uh, Fang's Midge enter, Jughead and Ethel enter, Reggie and Julian enter and everybody's there and we see, this is where we see, um, uh, well, then we get a little sneak peek of Kevin giving Tom a hug as Tom leaves the house. I guess Tom's gonna let his wife and Kevin stay in the house, and he's gonna go live elsewhere. Um, probably with Doctor Werther's. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, then everyone hugs Kevin, and that's pretty much the end of the episode. I thought this this was it was great to see them all singing together and like coming around as as a community, which, as you rightly pointed out, did not happen for maybe what it should have for Ethel. Yeah, like like setting that aside, it was a sweet moment. Like especially especially now, like the the show is officially wrapped, and we know we're so close to the end. It's like it's 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 uh, you can tell that all the characters, like all the actors, love each other. Like it's like it's a cathartic moment as a viewer, even if it's not necessarily fair in terms of like what happens in universe. <laughs> yeah, I definitely read it as an homage to the show. Yeah. And it was a sweet song. Like I said, I did start to tear up a little bit. Um, I won't say it's better than the season one song. These are moments I remember. Like that one, that was a great song. <laughs> uh, you had Josie and the Pussycats. You had Archie. Like, you know, they can't top that. Well, but, the songs were great with Josie and the Pussycats. Mm-hmm. But but this, this is a close second. I'll, I'll, I'll give them some props. It wasn't bad. Um, so... Uh, did you see the promo for the next episode? I did not. Do right, you want me to tell you what happens? Yes. So the next episode is all about um, the Miss Riverdale teen beauty competition. Um, of course, Alice and Hal are like in charge of that, and they don't. <laughs> and they don't want Eth- Ethel to be a part of it. Oh no! They're mean. So, but the but the girls are going to fight for Ethel to be a part of it. So that looks interesting. Um. I'm hoping for more follow-up on Betty's plotline where she, where she's running the Teen Mystique newsletter. Like she's basically the Lady Whistledown of Riverdale, and I need more of that. <laughs> I would also like more of that. Um, I'm not. My hopes aren't high, but I would like to see more of it. Have you seen any Bridgerton? I have not. Yeah, like I, I think it's so funny that she's kind of like, like in, in Bridgerton. Lady Whistledown is the one who anonymously writes um, all the gossip on these little newsletters. And spoiler alert, it turns out to be a teenager in the town who's like spilling all the tea on everyone, including up to the queen, you know. 
Oh, it's kind of like a, a Gossip Girl situation. Yeah, yeah, probably. I haven't seen Gossip Girl, but it sounds similar from what I've heard. Um, and another thing I'm hoping that they follow up on are the whole comic book plot. Like, y'all had a book burning last episode, and no one even mentioned it this episode. I mean, they did mention the Red Scare or the Commie Scare, but they didn't do anything more than that. Yeah, it definitely seems like, uh, you know, we got that shot of Jughead smiling, putting like a little piece of paper into his like story ideas folder. He doesn't seem too worried about it, which, you know, like, dude, all of your like work just got burned. They need to circle back to the comics and the Milkman mystery because I need. Yes. To... All right. Any other final thoughts for this episode? Nope. All right. Let's rank the episode. So, Candy, is it a 10? Ooh, oh my gosh. I don't even. Okay, you know what? I'll say this. My expectations were higher for this episode than they were for other episodes. And in some ways it did disappoint me. So I'm going to give it a five out of 10. Interesting. Uh, I think, is that the lowest you've ranked this? Uh, it it this might week? be. And I mean, it's still like, it's, it's still, halfway. It's like, average. It's It's in the middle. Yeah, like I don't, again, this isn't a, a well-made show. There were parts of this episode that I really, really enjoyed. So it's not me being like, oh, I was bored to tears the whole time. Mm-hmm. Well, um, if I have to rank it from one to ten, I'll give it, ooh. It's hard. I think I'll give it, I want to say a six. Like, uh, that's kind of one of my lowest because... Again, we had high expectations. They weren't completely met. I mean, I want to give them props for like trying. Like, it's hard to make a new musical. And they even mentioned that in the episode. Like, original musicals are a hard sell. And from that perspective, they did a, uh, I give them an E for effort. But um, again, there were a lot of misses here. Like, the whole Cole Porter thing was a flop. some of these plot lines, we can't really enjoy them without knowing if they're going to be resolved or not. Like, 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 like this whole Betty Veronica stuff. Like, I want to enjoy it, but I'm like, is this queer baiting? Is this going anywhere? Yeah. <laughs> there's all this back and forth. Like, okay, then they're kissing Archie again, and then they're not. Like, <laughs> um, and we talked about the Kevin stuff. So it's like, I mean, I still can't decide if it's bad or if it's good or somewhere in between. But all I know is that I laughed out loud. I screamed. I cringed. I smiled. I teared up a bit. And I was left with a lot of questions. So, I mean, I had an emotional response to this episode. (laughs) (laughs) So, at least there's that. Um, So, yeah, I feel like a six is the best I can do. Maybe a seven if, uh, if some of this gets followed up on in the future. Yeah, I mean, it's very TBD. Like, maybe we will find out more about Kevin's parents' divorce, for example. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll find out if Archie will stick with poetry. Yeah, I would actually love to hear some of Archie's poetry. <laughs> <laughs> he's been writing really hard. Like, he's always, like, sweating bullets when he's putting pen to paper. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, um, if you uh, don't mind, I'd like to here if you have any other media you'd like to discuss i mentioned earlier that i'm reading on the road so there's uh there's that for everyone um but (laughs) other than that no not really 
All right. And I mentioned earlier that I'm watching Secret Invasion, so I want to plug that podcast uh, if anyone, and that show if anyone's interested. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kennedy, for joining me on this Riverdale Review. And thanks, everyone, for listening. If you enjoyed this DMV Comic Nerds podcast and would like to hear more, please like, subscribe, rate, and review us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Sadly, we're still on Twitter, <laughs> but you can also find us on Reddit, Instagram, and League of Comic Geeks. If you want to follow or message us, just search for DMV Comic Book Nerds or DMV CBN, and you should be able to find us. Your feedback and engagement means so much to us. So, hope to catch you next time, Riverdalians. Can you dig it? Goodbye. Bye. Bye.